0: You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.
1: To left center, deep, gone, Brewers lead it. And a swing and a miss, he struck him out. Down the line. And that's the ball
2: game. Hey Brewers fans, thanks for checking in on Brewers Unfiltered. It is our 20th episode of the season. Hard to believe. We're now into August. The trade deadline has passed. Uh good morning or good afternoon, whenever you're listening to us. It's Sophia Miner and Adam McCalvey and Tim Dillard joining us in spirit uh due to technical difficulties on Zoom. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Yeah, 20th episode of season two, and we still don't know how to work the technology. This is fantastic. Good work, everybody.
2: Things happen, you know? I mean... Do you know,
0: it's funny because Tim is probably of the three of us, the most technologically inclined. Would you say that? based on? I'm Absolutely. only basing that on his video production and the fact that last night he's photoshopping himself into photos with Brandon Woodruff from Brent Suter, which I would not know how to do.
2: I don't know how to do any of that. (laughs) My, my comm school education has failed me.
0: (laughs) Hey, we figured this out though. And he's at home trying to figure out why he can't get on. So we win.
2: We win. And we're, uh, we're going to carry on uh, without Tim for now. So we do have a lot to talk about though. Um, So over the weekend, they split the series with the Pittsburgh Pirates And then they come out and finally just break through offensively. It just felt like kind of all the frustrations and struggles that the team has had going back to the road trip and even some of the games in the Pittsburgh Pirates series just kind of all came out. It was a 12 to 1 win for them in that in that Monday night win against the Rockies. And we've got to start with Freddie Peralta um something about the Colorado Rockies I don't know we need to dress all the teams in purple when Freddie Peralta is on the mound because Freddie turned in just another absolutely dominating performance one of the best of his career seven innings one run it was a home run to Ezekiel Tovar just the second batter of the game and then after that he allowed nothing 13 strikeouts for him that ties a career high of course also came against the Colorado Rockies And 31 whiffs. So, I mean, Adam, just what we saw from Freddie last night, Craig said after the game, that was as well of a pitched game um, from Freddie and from the Brewers that we've seen all season long.
0: Well, all 54 years of Brewers history long, 55 seasons. um, The third time they've come one pitch from a perfect game. And sometimes a game happens and it's not until afterwards you sit back and you go, dang, that was really close to something special. Um, <clears throat> earlier this year, the game where they were within one little infield dribbler of throwing a no-hitter, and um, it was good good memories because the the last time they did this was the Burns hater no-hitter where um, the Corbin Burns walk uh, was the only base runner in the game. The other one was a super memorable game that somehow I'd Kind of forgotten about Brandon Woodruff against the Phillies in 2019 when Andrew Knapp, of all the Phillies batters that day, the, the catcher, the second string catcher, Andrew Knapp, hit a homer off Woodruff in the seventh inning, sixth inning. And that was the only base runner the entire game. So in that one, the, no Phillies stood on base. He just kind of rounded the bases. And the same happened last night. So um, uh, that is, uh, there have been 24 perfect games in Major League history. So it like tells you how rare and special uh, that night was. And Freddy Peralta has the good stuff going right now, and it's all about commanding the slider to go with that funky special fastball he's got. And when the two work in tandem, that's why they were so excited when Carlos Villanueva and him kind of came up with that slider and honed it a couple of off-seasons ago because they know that that combination is deadly for opposing hitters. In a young Rockies lineup, this is a... a, a clearly rebuilding kind of team um had a really hard time with it so freddie's a no hitter in the making i mean we are one day that guy is going to throw a no hitter and i hope i'm there when he does it because he's come close the 10th time he's thrown at least five innings and one or fewer hits so like he's gonna do it someday
2: i will cry if i'm not there
0: (laughs) (laughs) well i you know i was not there for the burns and hater one and it's a very empty feeling i was out in acadia maybe said this on the podcast i was on vacation in acadia and out on a boat tour in the (laughs) middle of the (laughs) in the middle of whatever that body of water is neighboring acadia and all of a sudden my phone starts to buzz and i look i had to go find a like place in the boat i could open my phone and not disturb everybody else because it was at night and uh yeah no hitter and i missed it
2: it is it's it's not a good feeling, and 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 I love Freddie knows that he's close to it, and, and I kind of love some of the fun that the guys were having with him after the game. When we spoke to Freddie last night, like Brandon Woodruff comes up to him in the dugout after his seven innings of work, and and absolutely shoving, and and Woody's giving him a hard time, like, hey, you can only strike out thirteen. Like he seems to be stuck on thirteen too. <laughs> yeah. he just, You know, uh, he's and he said he was like, I I would love, I wanted to get like one more. And then Sal made that great, uh, great running catch to Rob Brendan Rodgers to get get him out of the seventh. But, yeah, I think we all know Freddie, Freddie could be close to doing a no-no someday. I think we all hope that we're there to see it. But Freddie's, as you said, I mean, since the All-Star break, the five starts for him. He's only allowed 10 runs. Six of those came against Atlanta, uh, which, you know, that's just Atlanta. And he's got 44 strikeouts coming out of the All-Star break too. So Freddie, it feels like he's just peaking at the right time maybe. And I, I don't want to say that too soon because he's been so consistent. But, man, if you can get that from Freddie for August and and going into September, that's huge for this team.
0: Well, and I think this is another thing we've probably talked about on the podcast before, but it reminds you again of that that debut. And I've told you this, Sophia, that, that's maybe – Short of C.C. Sabathia in the and Ryan Braun in the the 08 finale, if I think about like my favorite regular season games I've ever covered in X seasons, that Freddie Peralta day at Coors Field when he made his debut is so high on the list. And I was down there tagging along with you because you're the master at finding the family in the stands, um, and you found Freddie's family, and they were like. You know, everyone, I think, has probably heard the story now where they came up to Colorado Springs, first time they'd ever seen him pitch professionally. Then Chase Anderson, who's, by the way, here with the Rockies right now, rehabbing a shoulder injury, got to say hi to him uh, before the, the series opener. Um, he goes down with, what, a sickness? And and then Freddie gets called up the road up I-25 to Denver. So that was, like, such a special, memorable day. And now twice in the la- in the in, in the span of 12 days, Freddie's matched those 13 strikeouts, and it just reminds me of that day following you around and trying to talk to the family. I think you translated for me, like, in yeah. the stands. And then, yeah. obviously, you translated on the on the telecast, too. So that was – you were super busy that day.
2: That was I, – I agree with you. I think – and this is not taking away from yeah. anyone else's debut, but that was such a special day. Just all the circumstances yeah. around it, what he did, his performance. <laughs> I, I just love uh, – you know, we we love we love to bring back the highlights of that game, especially when he is pitching against Colorado. Yeah, Colorado. And you just look at how young he was, like the baby face and I mean he had yeah. races. Like <laughs> he was such yep. a young kid and now and now you see what he's doing now and it's just been uh we all we all love watching Freddie. So how do
0: you find the family in the stands, by the way? How does that how how is the sausage made on that?
2: The assist on that always money? has to go to Dan Larea. Um okay. or or Joe Swanhart who are managing the tickets and so I always i mean, at home it's easier because I generally know where all the families sit and um someone will generally point me in the right direction but ninety nine point nine percent of the time I have to give the assist to to Dan and Joe because they'll provide me uh, ticket locations for where the families are sitting and hopefully by then I've got names and you hope that they're wearing brewers gear and you can you can take your head. Yeah,
0: out. sometimes there'll be like 12 Weemer jerseys or something like that and you have a pretty good sense. I'm trying to catch up to you this year because I've had I found the Tarangs. I went and found the Weemers in the stands at Wrigley. Um I found the Freelicks. I know you you had them too. Um I don't know that might be it though. I'm sure you've had more uh those fan I love the I don't know, I'm a sucker for the TV segments where you, you spend anything with the family. I always think that's cool.
2: I love meeting the families. It's so fun. <gasps> oh, and our
0: family. speaking of it, we're joined by a new member of our family. Here's Tim Dillard.
2: Speaking of family, I didn't want to say it too soon until I saw your face, but we are now joined by Tim Dillard. Timmy, welcome to, welcome to Brewers on Brewers. <laughs> it's
1: unbelievable. It was like Welcome update podcast. Tim. I, yeah, thank you. It was like update. So I say I'd update. They're like, you want to install? I'm like, sure. And they're like, sorry, you can't. I'm like what? <laughs> and I've never had that problem, so I apologize. So you didn't much. We're just talking about Freddie.
2: You're coming Ooh. in. You're coming in at a perfect time. What are your thoughts on uh, Freddie Peralta's 13 punch-outs last night?
1: Amazing, amazing. I think, I, honestly, it. You start looking at his past performances. What they all have in common. The last two or three now, is that he's just been filling up the zone with the fastball. That, that's what I've seen. And he's throwing it for strikes. His misses are not big. Everything he throws is around the zone. He's forcing guys to swing. Um, the strikeouts are going to be a result of that. And here's what I think the Rockies thought last night. At the first five innings, he only had two outs on three pitches or less. So they were trying to work a count, and then each count ended in a strikeout. So what happened the sixth and seventh inning? He got six outs on 13 pitches. That's what happened. And to be to pitch deep into a ball game, that's kind of what you have to do. You pitch to the zone early. Third at bat rolls around. It forces guys to swing at stuff that maybe they don't want to swing at. So it was a masterclass from Freddie to go out there and try and do that, and then absolutely execute it. Um, he almost could have gone back out. I thought. <laughs> well, <laughs> why not? I was
0: going to say we. It would have been uh, one of those like really fascinating ones for talk radio and for us to debate afterwards because what was it was he at was it 94 pitches 94, 94 pitches. Yeah. yeah
1: no walks no walks that that's that's the precursor that's the thing that's happened to him in the past he's had these big innings that have happened because of walks and that did not happen the last couple of starts three starts walks are way down strikeouts are through the roof
0: yeah it would have been an interesting call for Craig Council and Chris Hook because they you know we know that they will choose rest they will choose the, the big picture every time. But we saw Corbin Burns get to 110 recently, and th- at this point of the season, Freddie's been healthy. After dealing with injuries last year, he's at a point where they probably could have extended the pitch count if they wanted to. And as Tim said, he got two uh, such quick innings. If that kept going, he would have had a chance, if not for that one home run. he I mean, we were talking perfect game bid. We would have all kind of been in a different mindset. Um, but that that homer early sort of, Releases the pressure valve, at least for those of us covering it, in terms of the history of the thing. But man, that was close.
1: Well, it'd be hard to leave him back out there. He has thrown over hundred pitches four times this season. But I think with a fully stocked bullpen ready to go in a lead, it's like let's in a just perfect game. I, yeah, I mean, I I say go for it. You know me, throw him back out there. I don't feel like we throw starters out there enough. But leave him I out there. I understand. I understand the
0: thinking, like no hitter, and I totally and look i always say it's like blackjack you hit on 16 against a face card and you do it every time and that's what that's how the brewers look at this idea of rest they're going to choose rest and caution every single time and they think it's the right decision and you can they'll they'll wear the criticism of it and and that's fine but man a perfect game the 24 in the history of the sport i think they i think he pitches until he gives up something
1: Yeah, I mean, if it's a perfect game situation, absolutely. I I mean, even last night, I'm always for let guys throw the ball. You know, let them throw it. What's 110 pitches? I was an A ball, and they tried to limit my pitch counts, and I'd be throwing six or seven innings on, like, 80 pitches, and they were trying to take me out of a game. They're like, well, you're, you're in the seventh or eighth. I'm like, let me have 100 pitches. So one game, I'd throw, like, 115 or 120 pitches, and then they would try to subtract that from my next start. I was like, not everyone's built the same. I get it. But at the same time, you can't treat them like they're the same and if freddie's cruising and he's been healthy and he's thrown over 100 pitches again before like just leave him out there i don't to me i don't know why that's hard uh but at the same time like you said they're gonna make sure he's rested and let's get the bullpen some work and all that jazz
2: and I think a part of that also kind of fell under the radar because of like, like all the offense came at the middle part of the game, you know, like the Brewers had a really quiet night offensively until they broke out in the fourth inning and then they just kept adding on. So I think some of that, you know, in terms of us realizing how close they were to a, a perfect game, just kind of got overshadowed by the offense. Um, you know, there was just so much production. but I, you know while we're talking about Freddie Peralta and, and him being at full strength, it feels like this rotation is finally getting back to opening day, April full strength with with Brandon Woodruff's return over the weekend on Sunday. Guys, finally, um, we were joking about it on the broadcast, his first start with the team since April 7th. So pretty much four months right on the dot, certainly much longer than any of us anticipated. We were joking on the air. I think Woody was either running away from us uh, to, uh, to because we were asking him so many questions about his progress or he was like elated to come back and talk to us about finally pitching in a game. But Woody was great Sunday, five innings, two runs for him, the nine strikeouts, got the pitch count up to 85. Um, you got Wade Miley back on the road trip. So now it's like you really feel like with Woody back in there um, – this this rotation is kind of finally back to the group that we thought it was going to be all season long.
0: Yeah, my stat of the week would be those three guys combined because for the first time, again, you've got Burns, Woodruff, Peralta. When they're at their best, they're like follow the leader and there's something to the idea. It's just like offense being contagious last night with that two-out rally where the guys kind of follow the line. The, the starters do it too. So Burns, Woodruff, Peralta, 18 innings, 7 hits, 5 earned runs, 4 walks, 27 strikeouts in 18 innings, and 59 swings and misses, including Freddie's 31, the most ever for a Brewers starter in a game. So, at least in the stat, since we have stack-ass numbers, which is the last 15 years. So, it's that getting those three guys on a roll would be really big because, look, the 12 runs last night and whatever it was, 14 in the the opening game of the homestand aside – it, there have not been many big run totals for this team, so they are a pitching and defense team. If you get those three starters rolling, that's a different
1: animal. Well, I think something has clicked. If you go back and you look at pre-All-Star, the Brewers were 21st in, the, in major leagues in strikeouts by pitchers, and that's very rare for the Brewers, that at least since I've had this whatever job I have now covering the brewers it's like man this is a strikeout team what's going on well since post all-star uh they are third in major league baseball and they are just six behind first place and they had the most strikeouts in july here's what i think i think they got together and said we got let's start punching some tickets you know they're giving up a lot of contact which is great and it's a lot of weak contact but they're playing such close games they almost have to take it into their own hands that's what it seems like uh, I think Burns has led the way with that, with all his strikeouts. What Freddie did last night, Woodruff just jumping on that. I, you want you wanted to make sure he was completely healthy. Brewers took, I believe, it was 121 days between starts. They wanted to make sure he was absolutely ready for this moment, for this final stretch. And I think that's what they got from him. 85 pitches is, I mean, it was elated. His his velocity was sustained. Uh, he looked like the you know the Woody of old. <laughs> He had he struck out the first five batters of the of the game. This is vintage Brewers. This is what we're used to seeing, and it starts with these three guys paving the way, setting the tone for the entire game. And I'm not sure there's a three best, you know, three headed monster in all of baseball when it comes to starting pitching.
2: It, de- I mean, it definitely changes things now that we're within the final 50 games of the season, which feels crazy to even say that um, as we're getting into August now. And when we were on the podcast last week, we talked about. We did a really quick recap of the trade deadline. It had just passed when we were in DC, finishing up that National Series and the road trip. So now that things have settled a little bit, the additions of Carlos Santana, Marcana, the lefty Andrew Chafin in the bullpen. Just you know, I think that's a big piece of the puzzle too. Because when we when we last spoke about this, like it just feels like they addressed some areas where you can add some depth. You can add experience. Um, you can add you know guys that give you versatility um, what what have you guys seen you know again very early assessment here of, of those additions of those three to the major league team
1: uh, I mean I felt bad for santana he went over five when everyone else got a hit last night. Um, I've been in the clubhouse where those guys are like oh good for all of you <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> and you feel like you feel like the, the last man standing you know kind of like what's going on here um, but, it, but I think what's important when you go for trades is go for guys that are proven and mature enough to kind of overcome that. Getting traded is hard when you leave people that you know, people that you've done life with for the last however many months or even years or seasons. You got to get players that are comfortable with that. And I think Santana and, and Mark Hanna are going to come around. I think they're going to start, you know, they're going to possibly go in and be the the heart. If they're going to bat in the heart of the order, I think they're going to have to be the heart of this lineup. Um, I don't think they've hit full strides. I think Canada's been snake bit a little bit he's hit a couple of balls really well and had nothing to show for it at times Um, but I think the biggest piece is Chafin I think Chafin is awesome he's been traded before it was very low risk Uh, they needed a lefty in the bullpen very smart move but it's almost like you can't believe they got him like no other team could get this guy Uh, as soon as I saw that I thought this is going to be a great thing you know Andrew Chafin's outstanding pitcher he's been traded before like I said Uh, but one big difference is 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 maybe his numbers were skewed from one bad outing but his stuff plays his stuff plays now it'll play next year Uh, the stuff coming out of his hand the pitches how he holds it his sequences are 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 crazy good and being in the bullpen you only see him one time uh, advantage him and he's he is not disappointed thus far with the Brewers
0: Sophia, you're born and raised. What's who, what's your favorite Andrew Chafin comp in Brewers history? Because there's like five <laughs> of them.
2: Well, um, I will have to say that the Brewers scoreboard group really, really nailed it with the Pete Vukovich comparison when they do their top five. I think you tweeted about it, didn't you, Adam? I yeah. Uh, I just when they do like their top five across the stadium of like the lookalikes. Um, But, yeah, I, I mean, Andrew Chafin, he just he looks like he was meant to be a brewer. Absolutely. He fits right in. The,
0: the one that makes me laugh is, uh, uh, I mean, Gorman Thomas is a good one, too. Uh, Doug Jones, Doug Jones from 90s Brewers fans throwing change ups up there in the ninth inning and getting saves for the Brewers. Uh, That might be the one that's actually the closest. Yeah, and you the top those guys mustache. Side by side. Those yeah.
1: hairs are touching below <laughs> his bottom lip. You know, when you got the top oh, hairs see, covering a... up the bottom lip, yeah.
0: Tim, don't you get. I mean, we both, your, your beard is much more
1: luxurious than mine. Oh, I mine. didn't even see your beard. I guess you do have one. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but I'm I get kidding.
0: squirrely when it starts going over the lip. I start to, like, fixate on it. I got to yeah. get rid of that. I, those guys who do it all the way over the lip, I don't know how. Uh, just take some patience, of... man. Just some patience. Yeah, you really got to like, know that the be payoff focused. is there. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> um, that is a big get. And and look, the the hitters are 11 for their first 67. Mark Canna and Carlos Santana, and there have been some buzzards luck to borrow a Tom Hodrickordism. Canna yesterday smoked a ball to third and was out. Santana hit into the warning track and right. I mean that's part of hitting, and especially when you're kind of thinking about small sample, you get these guys for two months. It's you're trying to catch lightning in a bottle with it, or to some extent, that I think they'll perform better. But I, I think Chafin is a really notable add because Craig Counsel had talked coming out of the All Star break in Cincinnati, where they were on that stretch where the bullpen was going great and carrying a heavy load, that he thought it was important that they get like one more guy to kind of step up and join that group that was Williams, uh, Piamps, Pagero, Milner, and. Bryce Wilson in that multi-inning middle role. And now they've had n- not just one with Chafin had but but I sort of think of another one with Abner Uribe stepping up into some of those big spots. So I think Craig Council at this particular point in time feels great about having lots of options for close games because, twelve again, two games on this homestand aside so far, They've not been that kind of team. They've not been the kind of, like, the Braves bludgeon teams. The Brewers don't do that. They're winning these close games. So I think having the depth with Chafin is a really big deal, and it was a trade that kind of came in under the wire, and everybody was looking so much at the offense. So I don't know that that one got as much attention, but I think maybe it should be the one that we're most fixated on in terms of which one could impact the club the most over the the last couple of months.
2: You mentioned Abner Rebake. He got a lot of attention on pitching ninja on Sunday, uh, for his strikeout to Jack Sawinski, a ninety nine mile per hour sinker that Rob Friedman deemed was demonic and possessed. <laughs> <laughs> Which what I is mean, this you know, we, we throw around words like, you know, filthy, nasty, you know, all kinds of terms, but demonic <laughs> and possessed. And I and I asked Abner about it if he had seen it, and he's like, Oh yeah. Uh, he, he had seen it, he had heard about it from some of his teammates. Um, and I asked, and he, I asked him, I said, it was that like your best or nastiest pitch of the season? He said, yeah, that was, um, but man, I mean, some of the stuff that Abner Uribe has thrown out there, it's, it's really opening stuff. We've talked about the velocity, but you know, Craig had, you know, to your point about the second half of the season and the bullpen, Craig said, like, we do need other guys to step up. And they're giving Abner kind of le- these little tests along the way, right? Whether it's multi-inning spots, it's the top of the order, it's the middle of the order, it's one-run games. Um, they want to see how he handles these little tests. And and so far, he's, he's handled it all really well. Nine games for him, a 169 earned run average, and 12 strikeouts. And it's like, if you can continue building that confidence with him, man, he could really be a good weapon for them in the bullpen and just another great option to go around with. We have Elvis Piguero and Yoel Piamps and, and the rest of the group.
0: Yeah, it's interesting. They have done it in little bites. And and I think if you watch really closely and think about the situations that he's pitched in lately, um, you can tell they're trying to find spots to give him these tests and let him pass each test. It's almost like you know continuing the player development in the minors where you present a guy a challenge and there's Usually some struggles involved, but if they succeed, um, you challenge them again and s- you you challenge them until they hit a wall. And I think they are tr- while trying to win all these games because they're really important. I also think they're trying to introduce these little challenges to Abner Aribe within the game. So he's a guy when he's up it's it's really worth kind of thinking about the situation and why they're choosing him because they're they're like trying to win these games and doing player development. Both at the same time, because he could end up, who knows when, next year or the year after, being like you know, he could eventually be the guy in the ninth that that's the kind of
1: arm he has. and that's very true. Guys are uh, they organizations do test you. they want to see what you can go through. I remember in two thousand and eight, I was in AAA and I was pitching a ton. I was throwing like two innings and have a day off, and I'd throw like two innings again, which. Kind of seems absurd now, but at the time they were looking for, okay, can this guy throw back to back days? Can he go multiple innings? Can he be the long man? And so I remember one day the coach was like, yeah, there's no way you're going to pitch today. You've been pitching a ton. We got to let somebody else throw. And I was the first guy up in the bullpen and like the first inning and got into the game. So Uh, I I think they try to test you to test your limits. And the more you can pay that off, the more they give you. That's exactly what's happened uh, with Uribe. Just blowing through the minor leagues with what we can only call as the world's hardest left-handed slider. I mean, that's what it looks like coming out of his hand. Uh, What a better way, I mean, better place in history to be here watching this stuff. Because you can watch it on Twitter. Pitching Ninja, grabbing clips. I mean, it's so much fun. I bet the clubhouse is elated when they see this stuff um but it it plays and it's all about him versus self it has nothing to do with the hitter at this point when you have that kind of stuff and when you pass a test that is that gives you so much confidence cuz you know what's going on to an extent he knows what's going on he knows how important these games are he's not taking it lightly and a lot of rookies when they get to the big leagues like to just hit cruise control and say I made it hey okay cool I'm going to try to go out there and do my best no he's He's grabbing it by the horns, so to speak, goes out there and says, This is my inning. This is, I'm part of this. Watch this. Um, and so, anyway, that's why me and my kids, we run to the TV when we hear that uh, <laughs> when he's coming out to pitch, uh, because it's something special.
0: Pitching Ninja, by the way, Rob Friedman was in, was at the All-Star game. He was credentialed. And I think he was pop- more popular than some of the All-Stars, or at least he was like popular among the All-Stars, because all the pitchers want to be on Pitching Ninja.
2: Oh, that's too funny. Um, well, we've got a lot more rookies to talk about from Abner Rebay to another group that fans have followed all season long. The freshmen, they've had a fantastic week here at home. And uh, we've got more on that coming up here on Brewers Unfiltered.
0: This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what?
2: We're back on Brewers Unfiltered and Guys the Rookie. Keys have had a crazy week here at home, um, Bryce Terang and Sal Freelich, and episode five of The Freshman will be released at the end of the week here on Friday, and no surprise, it features the two of them, um, and some interesting angles for both of them. I think you you spend some time with them in Nashville, on and off the field, in the cage with hitting coach Al LaBeouf. Um, and not to spoil it, but it does end with a certain someone's call up uh, to the major league team. And, but it also, it, it's it's about Bryce Terang and kind of his up and down season. So it's a great episode. I think you get to know them even better. What the season has been like for both of them, two very different stories, ultimately ending up in the same place. But I think uh, getting to see them in Nashville was, was really fun for me. I enjoyed that part.
0: Well, I was going to say just that because I've, in the Churio episode, we got a little glimpse of Biloxi, and now you get a little glimpse of what it is in, in Nashville, what that ballpark looks like, what the clubhouse looks like, what the vibe is. You get to see Rick Sweet and Al LaBeouf, two of the very best baseball people in the the full array of the sport, like just too great. I want to hear from Tim what Al LaBeouf is like to be around every day. But I loved the part of th- this episode, by the way, and, and not just, again, because our friend Ezra Siegel, who helps – basically keep us hats herded on this podcast um, is, you know, basically the the one of the brains behind the freshman series. I'm not just saying that because of his involvement. This episode is really, really interesting. And it ends like kind of go- in a goosebumps kind of way. Um, but I love the middle part where they have Bryce Terang, who's been sent down, struggled in the big leagues, after the emotion of his start, the hot start, and talking about getting back. Yeah. That is the part of so many players' stories. Ned Yost used to always talk to us about that when you know they were a young team with these prospects and some of the guys, J.J. Hardy's the guy I remember. You could mark him down for a 4-3 ground out for a period of his rookie year, like every time. Um, he was just forcing the ball in play and we, we would talk about it. He was really struggling. And Ned Yost would just say, look across the sport and how many players have struggled and been sent down. And, you know, you thought they're never going to make it. And then they they do. They become stars. And um, I thought it was just really interesting to, to hear Bryce Trang talk about that process and his mindset of going through that period where he'd been demoted. And now look, as we record this, he's back and he's, Still playing the great defense. He's filling in at short on a night where Willie Adamas gets a break as he fights through his own funk. So he's giving them versatility, and now he's really hitting. And he dropped the barrel on a on a breaking ball and hit a huge home run um, against the Rockies, and he's, he's doing it. He's the complete player as we record this. So I thought that was really fascinating, and just to get him in a relaxed environment and hear from them in a long form kind of way, I thought is great. I, I think this whole series has been really cool. And again, I'm not just saying that because we know the people who are involved in creating it. I, I just think it's, they've done something really special that um, to get a glimpse at what it is to, to, to develop prospects. Um, it, I think it's been really cool and worthwhile. And I, I hope it's something that they can continue to do.
1: Well, whoever was the person that said, hey, we should make a show about these freshman guys. That person needs a raise. I don't know who said it first. <laughs> But to sit there Sophia and look at all was the, that, you? that. Yeah. <laughs> Give her a raise.
2: I can't even yeah. take the credit, guys.
1: <laughs> but you, they saw these guys. They saw how dynamic they were and how exciting they're going to be as players. And they decided, let's lump them together and put a show and show what it's like. And my thing is, I mean, that's got to even be a little bit. Um, Nerve-wracking for the players. Like even when uh, when Tereng was mic'd up and the guy at second base was like, hey, they said you're mic'd up. I don't want to ruin that part, but I thought that was great. He's like, yeah, I'm i mic'd up. It's like, who's mic'd up in A? You can tell <laughs> that the opposing player's like, this is ridiculous. But they, it, it's amazing to see a glimpse because this is real, this is what it's like being in a clubhouse, in the minor leagues. Uh, the people that you come in and you see every day, the emotions of getting called up, the emotions of getting called down, and in the mindset that goes with it. And it's a very hard thing to deal with. Uh, listen to Bryce Turang talk about it, the beforehand getting called up and then getting back down. Um, there, there's an underlying thing there where you're always working on something. You've never made it. That's correct. You're always working on something. And in the big leagues, it's about winning. Like sure, you can work on stuff in the cage, but all that goes out the window when you go out and step on that field. It's about winning. That was what I loved so much about the episode is the emphasis on winning and competing. This is what I tell my kids. Yes, you know you'll lose sometimes. Yes, you'll win. But it, but get out there and compete. You cannot teach that. You have to somehow grow that. You have to plant the seeds as as you know low as you can. If it's rookie ball, A ball, AAA, get those seeds sprouted and going. Because when it's in the big leagues, it's all about winning, and you you have to have that in you. The best players do, and you can see that. And definitely Bryce Trang, Just hearing him talk about it, and you see him play it on the field.
2: Yeah, um, well, Sal, I mean, his his stretch here to start his career, I think he's just opened eyes of, like, this is who Sal like is, right? With, like, his, his bat-to-ball skills, his ability to get on base, the defense, the speed. I mean, it's just it feels like we're talking about him every night. And so Sal uh, has now put himself in Paul Molitor category, which is pretty darn good if you're a rookie. So 15 RBIs for him. He had four last night. Monday against the Rockies in his first 16 Major League games. Paul Molitor, by the way, did it in 19 games. So I think any time you're in a sentence with Paul Molitor, you're obviously doing a lot of things, right? And I think Bryce, you know, you guys talk about the defense has been spectacular for him all season long, and that's what's allowed them to kind of absorb some of the inconsistencies offensively. But then when he was sent down and came back up at the end of June— Credit credit to him for the adjustments that he made with Al LaBeouf and and the group in Nashville and what he's done now with Ozzy and Connor because since Bryce has come up this second time around he has 17 walks equal to his 17 strikeouts he has three home runs and a 257 average and the on base for him is over 360 so I think you're just seeing Bryce settle in which is which is huge for this team um, if you can get the offensive production to match what he's giving them defensively up the middle
0: well what they've said is that you know Christian Yalich has been great this year William Contreras has been phenomenal in what he's delivering offensively well while, while doing what he's doing um, behind the plate but their problem has been that it's often those two guys and they've done a poor job of scoring runs and producing runs because they're too reliant on very few guys um and it's a different story when you're getting production from some of these other players. And you we've heard that from Craig Council, and we've heard that <clears throat> even from some of the players and pitchers, that it stands out, the uh, the the comeback uh, against the Pirates, where it was Blake Perkins coming up with a big hit, and Sal coming up with a big hit in the ninth inning. So Sal Freelich, for sure, has given them a, a tremendous jolt of on-base, of just tough at-bats, and... He's so again, like he. Let's definitely get him on the podcast to talk about hitting because I think people will would love uh, to just hear him talk about hitting, which it doesn't show up in our stories very much because it's kind of more nuts and bolts. But it's such an advanced way of thinking. And what stood out to me, and we talked about this with him last night, is he slows it down like a veteran, and. I don't know how he does that. It's just he's able to do it, and he's able to think through at bats in a way that makes him sound like Christian Yelich talking about hitting. Um, and Sal's doing this with 16 big league games in the book. So I hope we can get him on to kind of talk about that um, because I think it would be really cool for people to hear him at length, kind of explain his thought process because it's he is up there thinking a lot, and I say that in a good way. Like it's not it's not thinking too much. It's he's
1: up there really thinking. And, and it's, it's super advanced. He is a extremely smart hitter. I mean, you can tell when he walks to the plate. You can tell every time he steps out of the box. He's a very smart player. Probably remembers all his online passwords, like that kind of guy. And one thing that's pretty amazing, if you watch his at-bats, compare him to other players. So let's say there's a foul ball or something like that. The player steps out of the box and takes like a couple of practice swings, looks at the jumbotron, looks down the line, all the he steps out of the box. He just kind of looks at the pitcher and then the defense. I think he's not worried so much about his swing when he's in the box or any of that. I think he's looking at the situation. I think he's very observant. I think observant players have the edge I've had several teammates that are like that. They see the game a little bit better than everyone else in the moment, which is very hard because I can sit in the press box and I can see some things that people aren't seeing just because I'm not emotionally attached to the situation. And if you're in the dugout, then you can usually see more than the players that are on the field doing it. I think Sal can do it in the box in real time, see what the situation and the pitches he is trying to get from the pitcher and what they're trying to do. Because even go back to last night, Uh, Monday night man on third he sees the defense he's reading what the pitcher's doing works a count and then suddenly there's a fastball three inches off the plate and he crushes it down the line to left field and you don't do that unless you're reading the situation and having a good idea of what you're about to put uh, a good swing on on a ball so anyway that that's what I see from him that's the elite of having confidence in your swing and the confidence in the strike zone but at the same time having an overarching observation of the moment. Who are the guys who did that, Tim? Who are the other guys? Ooh, put me on the spot, have you? Uh, I mean, probably not so many names that you heard. I, I would say, I mean, easily Braun. Braun just, he could look around and just say, i want to hit the ball over there. <laughs> in the minor leagues, for sure. Probably, the, yeah, like, oh, I haven't had a hit in two at bat, so I'm just going to scorch a ball through the, you know, the, the four hole. So, I, um, I don't know. There's guys that just have a have a feel for it. I can get back to you at the end of the pod. I'll, I'll <laughs> search my brain for the guys that... I, I once had to a
0: conversation with ryan braun uh, someone was chasing 400 and a conversation and he was 100 percent confident that if he wanted to he could hit 400. like if he just focused on punching singles that he thinks he could have hit 400 in the big leagues would have been a good
1: test i believe he could just from playing him in the with him in the minor leagues and then the big leagues you know he had the power he was expected to do the power but i promise go back and look every single time that he struggled it was all about hitting the ball to the right side and he could do that. He had the bat control. The bat path worked. Um, see, now I want to see – I want to think about really who – which players. Pot- topic for episode number 21. Yeah, I'll write down a list of the guys. Or to me, I maybe have faced more of those guys. You know, I, I love it when a hitter swings at a ball or doesn't swing and then doesn't look at me. He's like looking off in the stands and doing all that. I'm like, I'm okay with that. They don't see what I'm doing on the mound. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Getting ready, what I'm thinking about, but – you watch him. Watch him tonight. Watch him in the game. He steps out of the box. Watch him look at all the positions on the field. He, he's soaking it all in really quick. Uh, and it, he's making adjustments, not just at bat to at bat, but pitch to pitch.
2: Well, we should also mention uh, one of the other freshmen uh, who has not yet debuted with the Major League team, but is absolutely tearing it up in the minor mm-hmm. leagues, is Jackson Churio, uh, the 19-year-old in July, named the Brewers Minor League Pitcher of the Month. And just an absolutely monster month for him. 388 average, 6 homers, 20 RBIs, 9 stolen bases. The on-base percentage for him, nearly 500. And the OPS for him, over 1,100. So Jackson is just tearing up AA right now. And I know we hear from fans a lot about Churio and his season, his promotions. Um, But, you know, this is another, uh, it's just great to see him perform this way after being promoted to double a.
0: Yeah, and 19 years old. Like that's the that's the number that is still in and in turns doesn't turn 20 till my birthday, March 11th next year. Oh, like happy birthday. Uh, hey. I just yeah. try to sneak <laughs> it about Fred, me a little bit. Adam will also be turning there.
2: 20 next year. <laughs>
0: oh, I am l- I am older you. than no. I am older than 20. I'm going to be 29 this year. But uh yeah, I mean, it's Incredible. And I'll tell you, two questions. Dominate right now. Why isn't Jackson Churio getting promoted to AAA? And where is the cheese head?
1: I'm getting Sophia, blown up. Sophia, you get up. the cheese head too, yes. right? I'm getting blown up all over social media, people wanting to know where the cheese head is. And the only explanation I have is maybe they didn't think the road trip went like they wanted, so they just left the cheese head there. I don't know if they left it there. I think the cheese head is still
0: in the... Well, I mean it's retired for the moment. Remember they got rid of I the think it's,
1: Thanos hand and they got rid of the Bell re- thing. So
0: those things are best when they're spontaneous and then they run their course. And I think during that road trip it ran its course a little bit. They got a little you know, they lost some games in Atlanta. And if you know you look around the league and the the teams that are really in first place don't really have those celebrations. So I think it was like, oh let's just take a break from the celebration. So I don't well, think things are getting when more this
1: too, right? Like down a the street, like things are getting a little more serious and guys kind of want to, it's not that you can't have fun, but I, I, I think it was a conscious effort to be like, Hey guys, are we, are we done with this for now? And yeah, like, I get it.
0: So we'll see, maybe it'll come back at some point. That's, that's, I guess. And then for the cheerio thing, I guess I'm surprised a little bit that I get this question so much because. For, you know, Tom Flanagan, Eduardo Brizuela, the, the folks that make these, Matt Arnold, the folks that make these decisions about prospect promotions, I have a hard time personally questioning their handling of Jackson Centurio because of the way that he's progressed so far. And obviously the the bulk of the credit goes to Jackson Centurio He's getting the job done. But I think that the, the time they've pushed him and challenged him. And, you know, I think they they have done a good job of promoting him at the right time. And the one thing I would say is, you know, developing as a professional baseball player is about more than what numbers you're putting out there in the box scores. There's a lot that goes into it. And at the AA level, you're tested at a different, at a different level than you are in, in A-ball. And I think there are things that are happening in terms of, you know, the work, in terms of the routine, in terms of, getting all experience against these advanced pitchers that they feel like double a is the place to do that right now in triple a you're moving guys around you want to be ready to to come up to the big leagues wherever you have the opening the at bats are maybe a little more shared among a larger group um so for a myriad reason they feel like double a is the place for him to stay and i again i just think they've done a it's hard to criticize their handling of him in the minor leagues so far, so I sort of would would kind of defer to their thinking on that. I don't know, Tim, you know more about prospect development than I do because you've seen it
1: firsthand. Yeah, I so there's a little bit difference when it comes to the minor leagues now and, and ten years ago. It's the biggest jump in the minor leagues used to be from Double A AA to Triple A. If you asked anybody during that era in the last however many years, that's what it looked like. Because you go from facing, you know, a couple of double-A prospects that are really good as far as pitchers and hitters, to suddenly you're in triple-A and you're you're facing dudes that have, like, kids, right? Like, like <laughs> I, I faced Sandy Alomar Jr. one of my first seasons, and I had his baseball card. You're facing guys with, like, so much experience, and they're so good, and uh, maybe they're as good as they once were, but, I mean, they still have an approach, and so you're facing, like, this older group that could easily, the next day, be in the big leagues, like, Almost half the guys in A at any time could just be like, oh, you need a filler in the big leagues? Boom, there you are. You're a 4A guy. Like there, There's tons. So now I think the biggest jump is from AAA to the big leagues. The guys that I've talked to, that seems to be the case. It's not really A AA to AAA anymore. It's A in the big leagues. Don't know why. I'm sure there's a lot of factors. But Cheerio has been challenged at every, cor- at every corner, and, and he has uh, exceeded. And to point out, in A for the first half of the season, they used that sticky ball. So when at times before the all-star break, he was using, he was seeing some of that sticky stuff. Ball's not going to travel as far. It's going to be a little bit different. The stuff coming out of the pitcher's hands is going to be way different. And then at the all-star break, they change it and it's to the big league baseball. And I think that's worth noting because all of a sudden these double A guys are trying to work on the, on their pitches using a completely different ball and a ball that's wound really tight. And who takes advantage of that? Jackson Cheerio is going to take advantage of that. And he's crushing it all over the field, balls jumping. So then it's like, okay, well, get him to AAA, get him to AAA. So now he can see the complete package of guys that are familiar with the baseball and, and what he can do with it. That's the next challenge. I don't, I mean, I don't know the time frame on that, but I'm not calling out the, the front office. Cause I feel like they are part of my bosses. So I don't, don't want to do that, but I think it's time, and and surely there's a spot for him in AAA. AAA is always crowded. I've been there.
2: Well, Jackson is a uh, he's he's been fun to watch and talk about, and his promotions and just how well he's performing. And again, just 19 years old. It's just crazy stuff that we're even having this conversation about. Like pushing him to AAA uh, is just just wild. So, Jackson's... by the way, we
0: have our. Uh, well, I just want to throw in a plug because we MLB Pipeline has a re rank of the prospects with the, all the draft picks. And it comes out, I think, the end of this week. So if you're a newsletter subscriber, you can get that in
1: your mailbox on Saturday. I don't have a mailbox. So that's my little plug. Like an email? Yeah. Like well, an email, yeah. Yeah, like yeah. an oh, email. Sophia, did you have more on the Cheesehead thing? Because, I mean, we're all speculating. I feel like maybe you know more about it.
2: The Cheesehead has reached its expiration date. And it, it, uh, it went a little stale, I think, on the road trip. The it's cheese head cheese. did make its way back to Milwaukee, <laughs> but, uh, no, you guys, it's, that's everything you guys said is true. I mean, it's just, there it was a tough road trip, a tough series in Atlanta, even though they did score a lot of runs, they got swept struggles continued there in, in DC against the nationals. Um, so yeah, I think it was just, you know, everything runs its course. It's okay. Not to say that something else won't come out of it or maybe it'll come back at some point, but for now. Uh, the cheese head is uh, enjoying a little retirement. How's that?
1: (laughs) Should get it behind glass. Like, remember this? In case of emergency. Think about how many big (laughs) leaguers wore that thing. How many all-stars? That's cool. Yeah. One of my college roommates, you know, sometimes the cheese
0: in the fridge, it gets a little moldy, and then you throw it in the garbage can. My roommate um, was a pharmacist, and he used to say, no, 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 eat that. That's good for you.
2: No, that's a lie.
0: I swear to God, I swear to God, it's true. It's disgusting, and I'm still friends with them. That's um, I don't know about
2: that one. Questionable, questionable life choices.
0: Uh, I mean, who knows? UW Madison turning out some. I don't know. Then we have some question about the pharmacy eat, school.
1: I don't eat cheese. Just call me old fat. I don't eat cheese just because I want to be healthier. Like I'm eating <laughs> cheese because of the taste. And if you give me moldy cheese, I'm going to hard pass it, especially here in Wisconsin. I'm going to just grab the the really good fresh cheese. So, yeah, I'm out on that. See ya.
2: Well, to, to wrap up here, guys, um, Rowdy, Rowdy Teles is going out on a minor league rehab assignment and he was road tripping, an actual road trip, uh, an old school road trip to Indianapolis to meet the Nashville Sounds there for the week. Um, so that got us thinking, leave your moldy cheese at home. But just to wrap up, if you're going on a road trip like Rowdy, he had a couple hours to kill in the car. He said he was going to knock out some phone calls. But most importantly... What food and snacks are you taking on your road trip?
0: Tim, you're the road trip master. You do great video of yes,
2: your road trip. What are your true. snacks? We've got a professional here on the pod.
1: Well, the best thing to do is not really take anything. Take a small snack at the get-go, and then you have to stop for gas, right, depending on how long the trip is. And that's the fun part. You're stretching your legs. You're getting gas. You use the restroom. Then you walk up and down the gas station just going, what feels good now? Because you're not going to know before you get in the car what you're going to want in three hours so you walk down the aisle and then you sit there and go you know what i'm not performing today i don't have to do anything and you go for that perfect salty or sweet snack that's just gonna i don't know satisfy your needs so that's it's different for everybody um i would say if it's a over a 20 hour drive for me i'll do those yellow red bulls um i don't oh really yeah that's what i do as far as a drink because you don't want to drink a ton when you're doing a road trip, it can be longer. Um, yeah. And as far as snacks, anytime you can get some sort of like trail mix type thing. that Because you put your hand in the bag, you're watching the road, you don't know what you're going to come out with. So it's a surprise every time.
0: My favorite road trip snack is uh, the smoked string cheese from the gas station next to the Culver's on Highway 10 when you're going up to uh, Manaqua. So just outside Stevens Point, there's a gas station that has... The best smoked string cheese in the whole world.
2: That is like the most specific. What? I mean, you should be disqualified <laughs> for that submission. Like, that's crazy.
0: <laughs> we always stop at central up to Minocqua. Off we always stop at Central Waters for uh, everybody can have a little beverage, except for the driver. And then we stop um, once you get a little further down ten, as you before you get to fifty one to turn north at Stevens Point. You stop and get some smoked string cheese. The other thing I love on road trips are the full-size Laffy Taffies. It's the only time I ever eat them. You know, like the you know what I'm I'm showing you in the Zoom, but people can't see it. (laughs) It's the full-size ones, like the watermelon ones, especially with the little candy seeds. The only time I ever eat those is on road. I've never bought one of those at home ever, but on a road trip, ooh, those 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 hit.
1: I feel like when you're on a road trip, you're like, it's it's a cheat day. Or it's a cheat. However long the road trip is, you're like, I'm good. Like, none of this counts. I can yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly whatever like I airport. want. Because you're getting such a good workout yeah. sitting yeah. there. Same thing. Yeah, airport. And then when you get to your destination, you're like, I feel like garbage
2: <laughs> god i don't know why
1: uh, yeah what could it oh, be? i can add uh jet the lag. Other, yeah
0: the other recent road trip was brian anderson and brandon woodruff from atlanta to nashville oh, yeah. and i asked them their snack brian anderson's was gardetto's which is a great choice
2: yeah excellent choice uh
0: woody's was uh cheddar bugles
2: oh wow yeah two good gas station and airport staples
0: we got the important a, topics covered We could here. do a whole
1: pod just on, on this stuff. I love it.
2: Yeah, no no surprise that Adam is going for the candy. That's like a shock to no one. I would <laughs> yeah, go, that's a given. I would go for the salty. I think I'm always I love popcorn, so I would for sure grab whether it's like the freshly popped variety if that's an option or like the skinny pop or whatever they have. Um Definitely, plenty of water. I don't do energy drinks. Um, anything salty, i to grab peanut M Ms. Maybe mix in some of those bugles or you know check smics, things like that. I'm just I'm salty tooth all day. So
1: are you combining those? Like you taking the peanut M Ms and you dumping it into the popcorn?
2: No, no, no. Oh, these don't are all separate, match. separate yeah. snacks. Yeah. Progressive snacking in the road trip.
0: Now I'm hungry.
1: Oh, golly. I'm just like this. is. Incredible! As I didn't know I needed so much gas station food right now. But... <laughs> <laughs>
2: well, uh, yeah, we've we've covered a lot here on our uh, our twentieth episode of Brewers Unfiltered, but we we hope you enjoyed uh, our conversation about all the things the Brewers are wrapping up their homestand here. Hopefully, a series win against the Colorado Rockies after a great start on Monday. And then it's going to be a long road trip to a uh, nine gamer in ten days. Chicago White Sox, the Los Angeles Dodgers, and then wrapping up with a trip to Globe Life Park to play the Texas Rangers uh, before returning home. So, should be uh, hopefully Rowdy has a good road trip in Indy. Hopefully we'll see him at some point on the road trip, uh, maybe in LA. And yeah, we'll uh, we'll reconvene in LA. I
1: just want to say one thing. So, Adam, you know, you're know you not going to Globe Life, but that's the last park on your list, right? You told me that It is, yesterday. yeah. I'm going to have to wait two more years to check off my – that's a
0: stupid thing we do is we try to complete the circuit of all the ballparks. I told and you. That's you, you my last one. Yeah,
1: get that one, and you and can now. laminate your, your checklist. Also, listeners, subscribe to the podcast and tell all of your friends. Everyone in your phone, just send a huge group text. Say, listen to our podcast. Right. And then write us a review. I feel like we haven't brought that up in a while, but that matters to us because we read that stuff every day. Uh, and <laughs> no, we don't. But we will if you write the stuff down and give us a five star review. That's okay to say, right? Shameless. Bug? Absolutely. Okay.
2: We're shameless. Sure. We're begging yeah. for five stars. I know I am.
1: I'm not trying to drag y'all into this. <laughs>
2: All right, guys. Well, this has been a fun one. Thank you for listening. Thanks for following and uh, listen to Tim. Make sure you are subscribe. Give us a kind review. Kind reviews only, please. And um, yeah, thanks uh, Thanks for following along. Make sure you're following at Brewers on all of the social platforms. And we'll be back next week with more Brewers Unfiltered.